1: What's the best way to thank a podcast member who steps in and fills in for you as host? Sack him on the next episode. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Paul did such a nice job filling in. I couldn't be more thankful. And so he has been sacked. Relieved of his duties, he is no longer needed here. Uh, as a result, we have Tim and Clive instead. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Clive's on Twitter at P A F C. Hello, Clive.
2: And hello, Luke.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, Paul's not been permanently sacked. Uh, he just couldn't make it for this episode but really he's been sacked. No, I, I thought he did a great job and and I appreciate him filling in. And I just want to say thank you to the literally twos of you who expressed that you missed me on the last episode. <clears throat> so to the two of you who did that, mom, dad, thanks so much. Yeah, not the outpouring uh, of of expression of, of loss and absence that I, I might have hoped for. But you know what? That just means that we have a great podcast that's very interchangeable and I should be super happy about that. And I'm not. Uh, in any event... Not much else to get to. We're going to talk uh, Arsenal 3, Everton 2. Let you know that we have a Patreon pod scheduled for tomorrow, working on a neat little concept for that. So more about that, Anon. And, uh, of course, we'll have another podcast later this week after the second leg against Olympiacos. But let's dive into Everton. And, Tim, I think, you know, look, I am not one to hide uh, hide my opinions. I I got on the old Twitters when I saw the lineup and I expressed some concern about Eddie and Nketius starting but I think Enkedia was uh, good. I think his performance was encouraging. Uh, if you get my my little pun there that I'm trying to do, encouraging. Um, but you know what? Overall, I think the the lineup change that obviously was having the bigger impact on the start of the game was Colosse coming in for Saka. Um, mm. You know, and, and I think a lot of people were disappointed to see that change, and it didn't take long for that change to have an impact with the, the goal they scored. But I also think with an 18 year old, you just can't play him twice a week. Every week for the rest of the season, that's not viable. And we saw in the second half of this game, I think that he he could have used the rest. So, for you, I mean, those are the really two big talking points when it comes to the lineup. Did you have any issues with either of those decisions? Uh, no, not at
3: all. Um, but well, so the the Kolasinac one, no, not at all, for the reasons you outlined. Saka probably needed a breather, and I think we saw that in the mm-hmm. second half, really. Um, and and I took that as a you know as a rotation rather than a dropping. Um, as it were the Nketiah one I was actually quite surprised by given the fact that Lacazette um, has scored in the last two games and I wasn't 100% sure about it um, but you know we, we we were just having a, a discussion off air weren't we about um, the, like uh, the, the value of that role in, in Arteta's front line that actually the, the centre forward role as we've seen it under Arteta in that whole kind of you know filling up five lanes of the attacking lanes that the central one's the really unglamorous role, and so far, what we've seen is that Arteta thinks that only Lacazette and, and Ketia can do that, he doesn't want a do, doing it, he doesn't want Martinelli doing it, um, and that's because the whole system is set up for the inside left, uh, which is where Abamyang plays and where Martinelli played when Abamyang was suspended. So everything is geared towards getting that inside left into goal-scoring positions. So, so in Ketia's role, we have to judge it um, almost in the kind of Danny Welbeck, Emil Heskey kind of, you know, get through your work. And if you can score a goal as well, that's uh, probably more than a bonus when you're a centre forward. I don't think you can quite say it's just a bonus, but um, it's kind of not the only part of the job. Really, it's the insight, It's the Abamiang slash Martinelli. That's the one where you think you've got to score because everything is being set up for you. And and we know by now that that is just not an issue for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So Nketiah in, in is someone who um, I, I've i thought is perhaps, you know, someone I've just thought maybe he's just not going to quite come up to the level um, at Arsenal. This game, I think probably more than any other game he played, was the one that made me think, OK, maybe there's something interesting um, here and it's it's not just because of the goal although the goal is a wonderful one um, it's it's a really really good finish I think that's quite an underrated goal actually the way he finishes that off um, very reminiscent of uh, Thierry Henry's last goal for Arsenal if anyone remembers that um, mm. up at Sunderland Arshavin puts the cross in and kind of he opens his body out midair um, so it's, it's a lovely finish from Nketiah and actually that, that's one side of his game we know he can do that um, whether he can do that at Arsenal's level regularly, we, we you know we're kind of wait and see. But we know that at some level that that's what Inketi is. He's he's a decent finisher. He has a decent eye for goal in the six-yard box. Had a very good scoring record at Leeds, but there was something about him that Leeds didn't want him to that Bielsa didn't want him to start so actually it's a big show of faith in him from Arteta to basically say almost the opposite of, of Bielsa and say well okay I'm not co- I'm not really putting you in as the main goal threat I'm putting you in because I think you can do that spade work um and and I thought he did it uh, like I said even irregardless of the goal I thought he did it really well mm. and that was a side of his game that I wasn't really sure he had um to be quite honest. Um I, I thought of him as well he's he's a goal scorer, he's a sniffer, but um is he like a sniffer at the level where you know, you know, at Arsenal's level, I guess that was that was the kind of that was the thing. And and I think what's really interesting here with Inketia he he's essentially on trial till the end of the season, right? Because we sent him out on loan and then Arteta decided to keep him. And what could be really interesting is if he can be the backup for that position, that's actually really, really valuable. When you look at the biggest wastes of money in the top across the top six over the last five or six years, it's that backup striker. Everyone struggles. For that, like, look at look at the money Tottenham have spent on the likes of Soldado and Vincent Janssen, and Liverpool wasted loads of money on Balotelli, and we wasted seventeen million on Lucas Perez, and Man City wasted thirty million on Wilfred Bony. That
1: it's difficult, it's difficult to fill that position. And I, I, th- if, I think you need to at least mention what Manchester United just did in January as well with Odionne. Well, Gianella. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it,
3: exactly. It, I- Igallo and and actually interesting. I was having a conversation um, with someone on, on Twitter today that you'd have loved, Elliot, where I kind of said, "I think Giroud is more suited to Arsenal now than he ever was when we actually had him, because um, I could really see him in that role, you know, and particularly with the focus on delivery from the left." But let's Strong, not wrong. No that. comments,
1: because
3: <laughs> because because it, it's not going to happen, and nor should it happen. But I, I, I and so like getting back to enketu if, if he can do that and he can be that kind of rotation backup option, I mean, he really could save Arsenal quite a lot of money and it's, it's just something with, it's almost like a scouting blind spot. And if Liverpool ever lost Firmino for, um for any length of time, like we'd really see how good devo was as well, for example. So mm. I thought it was really interesting. This is the first time I came away thinking, Yeah, I think Nketiah played well um, today. Um, So, yeah, I I, I hope to see more of that.
1: Yeah, I think it is interesting because it's not a case where, like, Lacazette started midweek and Nketiah is starting at the weekend. These are two Premier League games Nketiah has been handed where Lacazette did not start in the intervening game. Um, I mean, I know he came on against Olympiacos. He didn't start against Olympiacos, right? I'm not – am I having a brainwave? Yeah, no, he didn't. Good. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. There he did. Okay, it
3: yeah. was Newcastle. He didn't start. That's Yeah,
1: right. So, so in other words, I mean, it is it is a fairly straightforward rotation. And to be fair, you could say that Lacazette was given arguably the more important game. But you know, trusting mm-hmm. in back to back consecutive Premier League games is is a strong show of faith. And Clive, <clears throat> I mean, I don't want to spend the whole pot on Inkadian because we we've sort of gone deeper on him than maybe I intended right from the start. But the one thing I will say is, look, if you ask any Arsenal fan, what are the strengths and weaknesses of Granit Xhaka? I mean, they could describe it with extreme granularity and depth of detail. Ask them that about, you know, any of the first-team players, it's pretty straightforward. But anyone who says they know exactly what Enkedia is at this stage of his career is lying. I mean, you're projecting based on his age and amount of playing time and performances in spot availability on loan and for the first team. But that doesn't mean you know who he is and who, what he's going to become. And so if Mikel Arteta was that wowed by him in January that he wanted to keep him, and has been wowed by him enough to start him in consecutive Premier League games, then maybe, even if we have biases, and I will admit that mine has been, like Tim expressed, not quite sure he's going to make it at Arsenal level, but maybe given how little we really know about him and how much faith Arteta clearly has in him, and Arteta's been around some of the best players in the world for the past couple of seasons, that maybe we just need to give him the benefit of the doubt for a little while.
2: Yeah, what you need to do is probably just think about how he's being used and how the team is playing. So so what's changed since Arteta's come along? I'm not going to go through everything because so much has changed. But what has changed is we're defending more as a, as a team from the front. And he's as good as any from a front-pressing perspective. He's really sprinty, he works very hard. And he's probably, you know, he's very, very sharp in the box. So I thought about this. I thought, well, why are we playing Lacazette away and playing in Ketia at home. I thought, well, actually, that makes a lot of sense. You've got a young kid, settle him down at home, right, where he's in surroundings. Also, settle him down where we're going to be in the box a bit more. Because he can then show his talent. He's a box striker. We're going to be in the box at home. We need a bit more experience and and manliness away from home. And I think that little rotation, I didn't agree with very initially, and I thought it through and thought, that's really smart. You're getting the most out of this player and I no doubt if Classic didn't get injured, I think Lacazette would have come on, and um, it maybe it'll come on for him later in the game. Three games, seven days, nicely shared, right? Nicely shared, rotated mm-hmm. energy. We'd have got Lacazette's energy for late in the game, or we may have broke the game open. So we would we were maybe robbed of that decision making, but I think it's a smart thing. It's a smart usage of resources and the freshness of our front four three. It's going to be very important. And the way we work them, I just think, I just said, I'm going to need him at some point. Someone's going to slow down, break down. I need to have that freshness. If I want to make sure we are intense, then it has to start from the top boys at the front. And I think it's been a noticeable change in how we defend collectively. And I think it starts with those. And mm. it's a fair play to him. He fits the mould of that type of striker. And I do agree Tim. That That role is not spectacular. Fine enough deals was a guy on the Everton's team I think would be perfect for that role in Calvary-Lewin. I think he'd be brilliant in that role. I think he works hard, and I think he's fantastic in the air. And he's this type of hard-working, unspectacular nine that would sit beautifully in the middle of our five channels.
1: Yeah, well, then the other key lineup decision, starting Kola I mean, it didn't last long. And I don't want to pile on Kola because... Obviously, I mean, he's going to be out for a while now, and it looked like he suffered a pretty bad arm injury in addition to being concussed. From what it looked like to me, uh, I'm no doctor, but I'm more than happy to say that it, you know, it didn't look great. And you know, unfortunately for Coliseum hatch, it hadn't been going great before that happened. I think we're in a bit of a tough spot here, Clive, and I'm curious to know how you think Arteta can handle this because Saka is a phenomenal player. He is an important part of what we are doing. Uh, in terms of the way we want to build play right with playing more like a wing back with that overload allowing Obamian yeah. to get closer to goal we we all we've discussed that at length but now he's got a situation where tierney's out and Colosinac is out and saka is really the only guy who's played in that position how damaging could this be potentially in that it may force him to overplay saka do you think someone like cedric might come in and play there what solution do you think arteta has now for for managing the left back spot
2: yeah, you know, what? I hadn't really thought about that so deeply. I think when he came, when when Classic came off, I'm thinking, well, you know, what, I'm already upset with you for costing us the first goal and getting pushed deep. So I'm not actually thinking about your general health at this moment in time, because when he did that, he sort of took us back to last year. Last year, dozy defending. Mm-hmm. So I, I I just wanted rid of that. So, um, But now when you think about it, the, the one area of, not just the one area, but the major thing we can all see with Saka is we can all see his talent, his ability to arrive, cross, blah, 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 all the rest of it. He's got silk in his boots on assists. But we can all see in many games, he struggles fitness-wise. He struggles. He's still developing. He's still young. And, you know, the Chelsea game, he, he could barely run at the end. And you saw in this game when he hit a wall physically, I mean he, he couldn't pass water. So it was just he just hit a wall and, and that's he's just still developing. So you make a great point and it'd be interesting to see how he does get out of it. I mean we have got a player called Maitland niles that played out there for quite a while. We have got a player you know Shaka's also played in that role. I know it's a different role now. Maybe he could he could flip it to the other side and make it a bit more of a right sided bias team. But it's gonna be interesting and there's no way this kid can keep going. We need to look after him. We really do. We can't keep playing him. Do you, you know, think Cedric would be
1: the answer? I mean, we, we have no idea he, when he's going to come in and, and what he's going to look like, but uh, presumably Saka will not play every game. So do, do you think Cedric might yeah, be the guy to, to do it?
2: Well, he may be. I know he plays both sides, but I just haven't seen enough of him on the left side, to be honest, Elliot. I haven't seen enough. I just, I've just i seen him right side, and, he, and he's a decent player, but to come into a new club, new team, on your own foot, that's a big ask. He's not a kid. I get it. But What about something outside just, the box?
1: Doing like with Nelson, what he's done with Sack? You know, taking a younger wide player and using him out there. I mean, he clearly rated yeah, Nelson before idea. he got injured.
2: It's a good idea. I think it's all open. I think that at the moment, I notice it's very much in this game. I don't know if, Tim, you call it in the stadium, but it's yeah. also the team is working in zones. They almost know when somebody comes out of a zone, someone else runs into that zone, but they know exactly where they need to be in possession and out of possession. You see them pointing, get back in there, pointing to the next pass, pointing to the pattern. Whatever comes in, I think they're going to understand the role that's required. And and so to me, we can, we can always judge the performance, but understanding what, what we're seeing, the players understanding what's required, and everyone working to a common go go-on pattern is more important. And I think the pattern is being set in what we do. The quality may change with a different person delivering. We may have to deliver off the right foot, et cetera. We may have to underlap a little bit more. But I do think there's a collective understanding and clarity of playing style. I think where whoever comes in, I think they'll be able to adapt up to a certain point.
1: Yeah, I, I, would, I would certainly hope so. And I think you raise an interesting point, though, which is if Saka becomes a player who we want to pick and choose where we use him in the games where we go with another solution. Do we flip the bias to the right side and emphasize uh, Pepe and Bellerin a little more with Bellerin overlapping and the, the left sided fullback sometimes referred to as the left back uh, in football, <laughs> maybe uh, playing a little more of that inside role that, that Bellerin's played. So Tim, I mean, look, I, I cannot possibly explain what was going on in Colosi Natchez head, the way he defended that set piece And I think there were some weak jumps from the center backs, and I thought Leno could do better. But at the end of the day, the response the team showed was excellent. And I almost wonder if it was helpful to us going down a goal early because the funny thing is we played played a little more in the first half against Everton after going down a goal like we did against Newcastle in that second half. I thought it was one of the best Hmm. halves we've had under Arteta in terms of in possession, building play, uh, moving through the thirds, playing out from the press. I was really impressed by it. And I think the player who we have to just immediately praise, because we've kind of gotten to the point where we just expect him to be good, and so we don't spend a lot of the podcast on him. I think we have to spend some time on Aubameyang. Um, it could be his final mm. season at Arsenal. He is probably going to go down as the best player to play for Arsenal in the modern era while the team was complete shit. <laughs> um, but yeah. but he deserves the credit. I thought this was a captain's performance front to back. Like he He tracked back. He was making tackles and winning the ball back. He was putting in crosses. He was getting on the end of moves. He was making incredible runs. For that, for the first goal he scores, he does a, the tip, the classical thing you hear people say, like one run for the defender, one run for himself, right? So he mm. he runs to close the space to the defender, runs at him. That keeps him on side and sort of conceals the movement. And then the second run is in behind. Luis finds him brilliantly, but that finish, that, that's a Thierry Henry goal all over. And mm. I, I just thought that this, in terms of application, from a guy who plays every game, um, every minute of every game, uh, right down to execution. Yeah. I mean, his class was really the difference in this one for me.
3: Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I'm sorry, yeah, I know there I, wasn't I mean, a question
1: at the end of that. I just, no, no, no. <laughs> it's your turn to praise him now. But, but,
3: but if you look at the XG um, for this game, right, and you look at the big chances, I mean, Ever- Everton outdid us on XG. I, th- I think that like by more than a goal, um, which, you know, given that XG is made up of fractions effectively, that's that's fairly significant. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin had three big chances and scored one of them. And um, Aubameyang had two big chances and scored both. Um, I, I think what's interesting, actually, as well, uh, like you say, it, it's kind of almost difficult <laughs> to talk about him because he's so... He's just so consistent um, and, you know, and that's that's as well, not just goal scoring, but physically consistent, available. Like you say, he's never subbed. Um, But I actually think something that has changed a little bit this year, um, maybe it's my imagination and the numbers don't bear this out. I think he's become more clinical because... I, I just, I don't remember, do you remember last season, like he scored a lot of goals, but he missed a lot of sitters.
1: The whole narrative I, around him for a while, right up through the missed penalty against Spurs was, uh, you know, this yeah. Aubameyang guy is a serial misser. I mean, if you remember, he had the big missed chances yeah, against Chelsea yeah. early in the season too, yeah yeah
3: yeah exactly and, and it was kind of true it was just the the, the counter argument was well yeah because he just gets loads of chances because his movement's so good but I, I don't I don't know maybe I'm imagining it and someone will tell me that the data doesn't bear this out but i I feel like he's been converting um pretty much constantly this season and and that that's that's kind of gone and you know now we're getting um, we're getting some headed goals from him as well and you know the headers he scored a lot of them not just about movement, but that kind of physical desire. Um, and, and the thing is about Aubameyang as well, like I, I remember someone, I can't remember who it was. It was a defender who played in the Premier League and this was about 2002 and he was on soccer uh, like uh, goals on Sunday or something and Omri had scored a couple of goals that weekend like he always did. And uh, this I think it might have been Chris Powell um it was a left back and they were and Chris Powell who's now become a really good coach um he was talking about like playing against Henri and that you know that kind of corridor he plays in between where he's not like not really a center forward and not really a left winger but operates in that half space but one of the things he said that really stuck with me and I think this about Aubameyang he said like if you were building a footballer in a lab he'd look like Henri because mm. like he's tall he's but he's not so tall that he's awkward he's lean but he's not so muscular like, like Kolasinac right gets injured quite a lot and I wonder if body mass is a part of that because he's just so muscular and you know what they say the bigger they are the harder they fall and that's kind of exactly how he got his injury he twists ankles a lot and and you know you get players like that there's, there's just so much natural bulk there but you know like a player like a Bamiang but you know built very similarly to Henri just that tall but not too tall lean but not not like too muscular but not too skinny and and again yeah just to borrow that phrase if you were particularly a striker if you were making a striker in a lab he'd probably look like a bamyang
1: mm-hmm.
3: um and that kind of that physical prowess he's got and 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 it, and it just bears out in just how available um he is as well and and he, he is absolutely the difference maker in this game and 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 that that's such an obvious point. But I think I think what I'd possibly say in closing there is, look at how, okay, and and so part of this is just because Everton play Richarlison kind of off that left side um, as a second striker, and that's where a lot of their play naturally goes. But look at how exposed we looked on that side, where perhaps Pepe doesn't really get back and help Bellerin out, and there's there's lots of space there. And look at what Everton did down the right side. You know, um, not very much. Mm. And that, that's a testament to how well Abameyang protected first Kalasanach and then Saka. Because that's on paper, that's not like, that's not a defensive pairing. Um, you know, Kalasanach slash Saka and Abameyang. That that's a side you'd look at if you were the opposition manager and go, oh, go down there, go mm-hmm. down there, because there'll be spaces. <clears throat> there weren't. There weren't any spaces and particularly when I looked to that kind of last fifteen minutes or so, you know, Abameyang was just was so present defensively and he was really working back and he was double teaming and and and, and then but then he had something on the counter um, as well and he, he really offered that threat. And and sometimes that's just as important defensively that you push forward and that you you know you just don't let teams sit in front of you and uh yeah I I, th- I thought it was an absolutely terrific game um, from Aubameyang
1: and I'll back you up with statistics because I I want you to know that your suspicion is absolutely correct last season Aubameyang scored 22 league goals on 23.55 xg according to Understat so he slightly underperformed his xg this season so far 17 league goals on just 12.1 xg so massively. Uh, outperforming his x g which you know at, at least suggests that um he 's doing an exceptional job taking his chances, which can I, um yeah,
3: can please. I also just sorry make make it like a a, a really quick point on the please, defending yeah. of set pieces because um I, you know i i don 't know if we 'll go into much more detail on this, but just I suppose a bit of intel because we didn 't defend them well. You can see Colassanach plays everyone on side, you can see for the second goal players don 't push out um Yerry Mina the Everton center half like fuck knows why Everton haven't have just have not unlocked his potential from set pieces when Yeri Mina played for Palmeiras in his uh final season there he scored 11 goals i think wow. from from corners from set pieces he is a prolific goal scorer and a prolific threat from corners and i really don't understand how Everton haven't unlocked this more um and, and I wonder if Arteta knew that, because that's who Kolasinac is grappling with um, when that first free kick comes in. And when the second goal happens, I wonder if maybe they were a bit scared of him, and maybe justifiably so, and it changed some of their actions in panic moments.
1: Yeah, it's possible. I also thought that Luis had one of his weaker games under Arteta and was doing some of the stuff that... that um Clive had criticized him for earlier this season, just playing too deep and too slow yeah. to p- push out. So we'll we'll come to that when we get to the second half and and how the whole team sort of slumped. And I think there was definitely just a, a loss of energy factor to that too. But Clive, I really did think in build up this this was one of our better performances in the first half, and I think Arteta has really found something here with Shaka Ceballos, and Ozil together um in ball progression we did a brilliant job playing out from their press when they tried to press us the the Aubameyang goal comes from a louise pass but before louise gets the chance to make that pass they press us pretty aggressively pretty deep and we just pinged it around between everybody at the back and and played our way out until louise was able to stride forward it and make that pass and it had sort of pushed everton up into the position where Aubameyang then had that last shoulder to run off so I mean, were you as impressed with our build-up in the first half, and were there any players in particular that you had your eye on in in terms of why that worked so well?
2: Yeah, I I sort of touched on it briefly. I I was very impressed in just how we moved the ball around. And when the ball went to certain players, I didn't think there was a limit to their layers of passing. So if you had to fizz it short, we could. If you had to switch play... We know that Subias and Shackleton can do that. Özil can do that. Özil did one beautiful one. Might be the second half. We just smacked that ball from one side of the pitch to the other. Everton played like a, a, a quite a narrow four-four-two. So that was the thing. He moved them around. I felt we got a bit overly comfortable in our build-up, and we sort of played, particularly you know, we sort of played three-nil football a little bit. You know what I mean? And I think we didn't quite. Take advantage of our good well, did, possession.
1: Wasn't there that one moment, Clive, where we were sort of on the counter attack and the ball came to Ozil and he just stopped, <laughs> just sort of yeah. stood still, like it was so, like the game was over. We had it won. It was just crazy. Yeah,
2: I thought I thought someone was injured, right? So he <laughs> done, the weird. ball comes to him and he kills it dead. And I'm thinking oh, that's a good touch. Okay, no one's pressing him because someone must be down or must be a streaker on the pitch or something like that. <laughs> he Do you stop playing? And, uh, and then and then it was just, but it it was also shown a level of arrogance and control. And technique and Everton thought, you know what? I'm sick of running about here. <laughs> They'll becoming demoralised at that stage, and that is a, that is another way to defend, you know, just by keeping the ball. So obviously, we're we're fans and we're watching the scoreboards. We have nerves. We don't mind that at two goals devised but not at, not a three-two or not a two-one. And and so, but it was nice. I do. I really felt it. We all know the shape now. We all know the patterns. We all know where they're going to stand. I mean, particularly us guys, you know, who are looking at it closely and have to talk about it. But I really saw it and I saw a bit of rotation. I saw people running a Shaka one burst into the box and people stood in for him. Um, you know, I saw Enketia and, and Pepe swap over in the second half just for a few brief minutes. So when Pepe came inside, Enketia automatically went out to the right wing. And so they're definitely playing zone football. They really know the shape. They know the what the quilt should look like and then know their roles within it and then they if someone empties they refill and that means you start to talk about the thing that Paul always talk about those automisms I can't say that word. Well, automatisms. Oh, oh. That's the one. That's the one. That's <laughs> the one. That's the one. I call it pattern play. But you can see that automatically they know where each other are. And I think it's make us more efficient. And what he's now doing is the ball moves quicker because if you, if you know where someone is, you know it's two touches at max. It's one two touch. No one's talking about holding on to the ball too long. It's pop, 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 and it all looks really nice and collective. And I do think, I must admit, I thought Tobias was dead. Um, But he has come back, and he looks completely onside with this. And he's opened up, particularly at home, he's opened up another avenue of play to allow us to reach different parts of the pitch really efficiently, and he's done very, very well the last couple of games.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think as we get more comfortable in the Arteta system, I think that one of the players that, to me, looks like he's really thriving is Ozil in that he he's finding the space and moving across the front line. I mean, if you look at his pass maps from the beginning of the Arteta era, they were very much on the right side. Now he's switching sides more frequently and supporting both flanks, doing a little more of the stuff that he did under Wenger, um, you know, finding those spaces between the lines to combine with the front three. Um, I thought he did some great work on the right, providing extra width so Pepe could get isolated. Um, it happens for Pepe's. Pepe does a, a great job delivering the ball to Aubameyang for headed goals. All he does now is score to this head, obviously, um, because Clive mentioned it a couple podcasts ago. But yeah. so, yeah, it, it was all very encouraging. And then, look, I, I think the team looked tired. You know, he was rotating for a reason. Saka looked pretty shattered in the second half to me. Uh, We touched on that. They really did have the better of it in the second half. And while I don't think we were dominated, towards the end they were creating chance after chance. And one of the players, Tim, that I think has come under scrutiny for this is Hector Bellerin. Because it was his flank that got exposed quite a lot. Um, Hmm. I mean, the extent to which they were able to just hit the ball long in their left flank, our, you know, our right defensive flank to Richarlison and have him cut the ball across to Calvert-Lewin for good chances was discouraging. But there are two points I want to make about this. First of all, I think in Arteta's system, if you're not going to get exposed by the long ball, the onus is on the front players to close it down. I think Arteta was critical. Was it the Burnley game where he said, we didn't do a good enough job? And I think it was actually Adrian Clark who pointed out in the breakdown, too, of shutting down the long ball, right, of of pressing the first passer. And when you don't do that in this system, I think those long balls are on. The other thing is criticizing Bellarin. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he was great in this game. And I think you see that he's still working his way back and he got beat a few times again. But the way he's playing, sort of tucked in and, and contributing um, in that almost like a midfield line, the space behind him by design is going to naturally be exposed. And Tim, we talked about this two podcasts ago, how coaches have started to see Arteta's system now. And Ancelotti is not a fool. I mean, he's an experienced manager. I'm sure he would have said... You know, Richarlison, there's going to be room in behind Bellerin who's pushing up and tucking in, you know, and and you're going to be isolated more on someone like Mustafi. We're going to hit it long to you. I mean, do you you think Bellerin was really poor, or do you think some of this is the system getting a little bit exposed where it's weak?
3: Yeah, there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of that. that's how Everton play. Um, I'd urge anyone to go back and watch. I think I'm right in saying the last goal they scored before the break against Crystal Palace, and it's Richarlison powering down the left-hand side and and cutting in um, that that's where their power is that that's who they're kind of um, you know Richarlison's their their most dangerous player and their best player so that that's something they kind of do naturally anyway uh, like I said earlier I think that's partly um, just part of the deal you do when you play Pepe as well you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna get The dog is going back and and you're not going to get him kind of really shutting down the long ball, Mm. um, as you put it. Um, I think you're right. I think there's also the issue that Bellerin is, is, you know, tucking in. And yeah, and so so there's a bit of a gap there. And I also think that um, with Bellerin as well, there's there's the additional and probably the most significant thing here is that we like. I think people. I think we we really have to change the expectations here, just of people coming back from ACLs in general. Um, I, I'd really urge people to uh, read a piece that James McNicholas wrote about this in the Athletic, um, where it, where he spoke to a few players, you know, coming back from ACLs. I've spoken to a few players in the women's team around this. Um, after you come back, you can basically add on another year before you see the best of that player um I, I spoke to jordan knobs about precisely this um the other week and she's uh, six months back now and she she said to me i'm i'm basically at my average level now that, that's how long it's taken me to get to my like 7 out of 10 level and it'll be another few months and probably next season before i'm at my my 10 out of 10 mm. and it's going to be the same for bellerin look at holding who um, actually did his ACL uh, earlier than Bellerini did it a month earlier. And at the moment he's got fitness issues so that he can't even be in the squad at the moment. He's playing 45 minutes for the under 23s. People have to realize that when you come back from an ACL, your comeback is not, that's not the comeback and it's not two or three games either. Cause I think people are savvy enough to say, Oh yeah, well, you know, they won't be back straight away, but then like within three weeks, it's like, right, come on, where are they? Oh no, they're finished. They're crap. You know, it, it takes a long time to get that rhythm back, to get that confidence back in your body, um, to get your speed back, to get your you know your explosiveness back. It all takes a long time to come back. And I think people really, really have to understand this. Otherwise, um, they're going to be disappointed and they're going to be unhappy for a start. And I'm sure, well, I'm sure there are a lot of people who do want to be unhappy, but most of us don't want to be unhappy. And... and <laughs> And we need to be fair on the players. So people have to get out of their heads that after two or three games or a month or whatever, that you're kind of fine. You're not after an ACL. It's, it's still a big injury. This in, you know, in my lifetime, this was considered a borderline career ender. Um, and it's not anymore, but it's still significant. It's still kind of slices two years, um, out, out of your career. So I think there's really that element as well. And and there's other stuff that just plays into it. Like Pepe, not really helping out and Bellerin tucking in and Everton naturally hitting that side anyway, um, because don't get me wrong. I, I agree. I think Bellerin still looks rusty. I still think he looks below his level. Um, but I, I completely expect that. And if he gets anywhere near um, back to his top level before the end of the season, I'd be astonished. Um, And, you know, I'd really like, um, I really wish that I had some influence on managing like expectations around players with this because I think it's important. I think we have to be a bit more sensible.
1: Yeah. And look, I mean, I think fullback is a really tough position to play in the Premier League these days because you've got a lot of attacking responsibility. Wingers and fullbacks are exceptional attacking players these days. When you're going up with someone who's a basically a world-class sprinter like St. Maxime one one week, and then Richarlison, who is an extraordinary player the next week, and you're being asked to sort of be in the attacking midfield in possession, uh, you know, almost in a central position, and then somehow cover the flanks. Like, it's a lot to ask. And, I mean, you see what we're doing with Saka to protect him. We've got Shaka tucking into that left side a little more, and he's given a little more freedom. The right side, naturally, because of the way we tilt and overload left, there's going to be a little bit more space in our right flank behind behind Bellerin. So, Clive, I mean, I want to talk about the back line in general because I think as great as Aubameyang was, as nice as it was to see Enkedia um, score, I think some of the more interesting issues in this game do come from the back line. We touched on the Saka one a little bit. We've been discussing Bellerin. I think Louise maybe took a step back in this game while Mustafi sort of continues the sance, the Renaissance, Mustafisans, and, and Leno, you know, once again, proving that I think we have an exceptional keeper on our hands, despite maybe being a little weak for one of their goals. So, um... I'll give you a bit of a free swim, but maybe you can just follow up on the on the Bellerin discussion. Then we can talk a little about the center backs.
2: Yeah, so I think I think in this game when Gomez came on, he's obviously a, he's got a good searching diagonal into that channel, and the the natural movement for a right footer is to switch it to the left side, and so that was a natural space to go. And, and as a fullback, what you what you need to do, I know he wasn't always in position; he was slightly higher. He has to think about his starting position, and he also has to start travelling. As he sees the ball get onto the back foot of the of Gomez, he has to recognise a little bit sooner that he needs to drop in. So he was a little bit slow, and I think where you know, obviously Mustafi, who's also played at fullback, he's very comfortable running out into wide areas on the right hand side. But we very quick, right? So it was it was a challenge for Mustafi. He did a great job on protecting that hole in behind, but he got done on a few occasions, and I, and I felt there was like a. We lacked a bit of power there. And I thought Arteta recognised him. He could change the fullback situation, but he could change Ozil's situation. By bringing on Gwen Doozy. he thought, oh, I need to get some activity up front and press the, and press the source, try to take away the diagonals. So it's quite hard to do because they they stretched us out the back, Bought Bernard on the right-hand side, kept a central pivot in Calvert-Lewin, and then forced... Um, Richardson to the left-hand side, and just started pinging the balls in behind them and just turned us around. Just turned us around. So basically that was what they did. I thought as a unit, I felt we we, we played the scoreboard. I think we got a little bit deeper. We did, as they were setting things off corners, our restarts, again, not great. The Calvert-Lewin chance at the end, that's a bad one. We weren't looking on the corner again. We have to be sharp when the ball goes out of play. Could we keep conceding off restarts? So that's that's something we have to work on. When the ball gets set back, we have to come out more aggressively. But you have to think about this. You know, they had Holgate, Mina, Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison. These guys are excellent in the air, really excellent. And when you see them coming... And they're bigger than you and they're fast and, they're, and they're, they're charging at the ball your natural tendency is to step back I thought Lena did it on the goal Louise did it in in, in the box and it's a natural thing it's just a natural thing and they I mean, you need somebody to <laughs> Tony Adams like to drag us out get us to the edge of the area hold that line because if they couldn't get into our box they weren't going to they weren't going to do anything from outside the box so it was just the, the fatigue the, the pressure of the scoreboard that I felt drove us back in, into our hole a little bit. But again, defensively, they're, they're all stepping up, aren't they? I, I can't I can't sort of stress enough, the collectiveness of our defensive work was excellent. And Arteta's spoken about enjoying defending and enjoying suffering. And that game was an epitome of, of enjoying defending and enjoying suffering. And the team came through it as a unit. We got the result. I think you have a significant Difference to how we go go forward. I think once you do that, and you suffer. You tend to bond closer, and the results tend to follow.
1: Yeah, I mean i I mean I think that there's we've 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 come so far under Arteta in a way, Clive, that there's this tendency when things aren't perfect to be upset about it. Like, oh, uh, we won three two. The defending was crap. We were crap defending set piece. Like this was a team that couldn't win a game, couldn't play well, couldn't control a game, couldn't do anything. And now we're you know three wins on the spin three wins on the bounce on the trot in a row however you say that whatever your your um you know, way of way of saying in the yeah all right that's the one um you know and and we're sort of nitpicking it but also I think it's important to remember that it is very difficult to go away in Europe and then come home and win at the weekend um and you know we did that and we scored three goals and uh, if it wasn't for just a you know sort of a little bit of calamitous defending, On set pieces, you know, by and large, I think we did okay. Look, there were a few instances where I thought Calvert-Lewin was running across our box and Louise just did not get tight enough to him, did not, was not alive to the run, didn't track the run properly. There were a couple times, too, where he didn't step out. I think it's their second goal where Louise doesn't push out. After the, after the first ball mm. and and plays everybody on side, it, it looks like it's Bellerin because after the ball comes back in, Bellerin drops onto the line, but it's Luis they're who both doesn't. Dropping. They're both dropping, yeah. but Bellerin isn't playing everyone on side, and, and I think it's Luis who does. So, you know, look, to be fair to Luis, he's been mostly brilliant, um, and he did have an assist in this game. Um, I think we should touch on Leno, though, Tim, because, all right, maybe he's weak for one of the goals, but we don't get this win mm. without him. And when you look at you know Chelsea basically paying paying a world record fee for the worst keeper in the Premier League um, keepers are hard to scout it can go wrong really really easily and you know while we're all patting the club on the back for fines like Martinelli which obviously is spectacular and Gendouzi and you know some of the other good players we we've picked up at reasonable prices Torreira, for example i think the Leno signing has been an important one and and for a club that has had a lot of uncertainty at the goalkeeping position for many many years now it really does feel like we have a guy who maybe won't ever be the best in the league, and maybe his distribution isn't perfect, but he's looking so much more comfortable now, and, and I think he's a big part of what we're doing.
3: Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, the, like you say, we've had um, we've had a lot a lot of kind of uh, arguments and debates um, and everything else about the goalkeeping position. Um, we don't have that. No, nobody nobody um feels uncomfortable uh with leno and goal his discus- his position has not been under discussion at any point since he came into the team um and uh, look if i'm being honest in the summer i I'd, I'd, I'd like us to find someone who changes that um perhaps I'd like to f- perhaps find someone just to start as a number two maybe I, I mean a bit like Leno himself right because he came mm. in when Petr Cech was here and established and albeit at the end of his career um maybe I'd like someone who I think could really push Leno but um you know that that old saying you can only beat what's put in front of you um yeah and and Leno he, he just doesn't he doesn't cause um he doesn't cause anyone any heart attacks does he um he doesn't he, he doesn't you don't feel like there's a massive mistake in there in the making and then you know look of course he's made a couple this season but I think I don't think there's a goalkeeper that hasn't um that hasn't made one or two and yeah I I agree I thought on the on the second goal I thought he was quite weak I thought he was a bit afraid of getting a whack um perhaps but you know um let's just say his account is very in credit after this game and, and actually i thought um you know he, he has that brilliant close range save from calvert lewin where he does everything you want a goalkeeper to do and just makes himself big and you know like the way he even puts his arms out like he tilts one up in the air and he you know just absolute maximum coverage mm. but for me the the intervention i loved the most was only when, when he came off his line
1: oh yeah yeah um, way the hell out like like 20 yeah. 25 yards out of his goal yeah
3: yeah. Yeah. When Bellerin, like, cause I was looking at that in the stadium and I was thinking, Oh, I don't think Bellerin's getting that. And to anticipate that, um, you know, it would have been very, very easy. I mean, he'd have been totally blameless had he not come off his line and that goes through to Richarlison or wherever it was going and he goes and slots it might, you know, it would have been a carbon copy of the Aubameyang goal. Right. Uh, imagine at the other end, um, pickford sees that louise ball and goes nope i'm out i'm after this and sees it coming um you know it, it it's similar and it's one of those ones where if you get it wrong you look really really stupid um but he didn't he, he anticipated it he saw what was unfolding um and and it's and it's I, I thought that was possibly his best intervention of the game but but generally like things like his handling and all of that were all really good um as well i like you i i'm not sure i'm sold on the idea yet that he'd you know ever be like the best goalkeeper in the league or anything like that um i'd be interested to see what happens if we start controlling games a bit more and and he becomes one of those keepers that's not engaged as much as he's had to be um, in his arsenal career so far but um you know we we just don't have any evidence either way there i i think you're right i I think for the money we paid um as well even if you know, we're being super harsh and just go, right, in a year's time, you know, we're back in the Champions League or whatever and we've got loftier ambitions and we go, do you know what, we're going to move on. Like, that's still a good signing (laughs) because if we get – even if, uh, and I don't think this will happen, but even if we only get two or three good seasons out of him and then we go, do you know what? We're going to go in another direction. Now that that's still a good signing and that's still money well spent. And if we did that, I'm sure we'd get more than we paid for him as well. So, um, yeah, that's all you can really ask. And, um, I mean, the, the Arsenal player of the season question, really, if you wanted to make it an interesting discussion, you'd say apart from Aubameyang. And if you do the apart from Aubameyang thing, then, then Bern Leno's right
1: up there. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, I have always said this about goalkeepers. I just don't want them to lose me a game. You know, they don't yeah, have yeah. to be, you know, like De Gea in his pump. I mean, d- does that, can that win you games? Of yeah, course yeah. it can. You Ideally, you'd like to have it. But my biggest thing that I... I I hated about the Almunia era was like, I felt that Almunia lost us games that, you know, I know a lot of people liked him. Nice guy, yada, yada, but like he lost us games and you know, I, f- I feel that we've had keepers, n- several different keepers that lost us games. And I don't, other than the Chelsea game where I think he costs us that game. And it's a shame because it's really his first big error of his arsenal career that comes to mind. And it, it, it changes the whole complexion of our season. But by and large, I think he has won us some games, but he doesn't lose us games, and I I will take that. Um, Mm. You know, the other thing I will say is I thought when we first started playing out from the back under Emery, it didn't look great, and he didn't look super comfortable doing it. I think he looks a lot more comfortable with the ball at his feet now passing out from the back. So I think that's something the modern keeper has to be able to do. He's still not a good long distributor of the ball, but I think playing out from the back, he looks a lot more comfortable than he did, and that's really important in modern football. So, Clive, I mean, w- we do see this out. And at full time, you saw how much it meant. Um, you know, I mean, the, the players are putting in the work. Arteta is asking them to put in the work. He's not necessarily picking the big names every game. There doesn't seem to be an issue with camaraderie. Everybody seemed to be celebrating the win. Um, you could see what it meant. I mean, I think they were just trying to get through it at the end. Um, and and I think there may be no bigger sign that Arteta knows what he's doing Than that the players really do seem to have bought into it despite how much he's asking of them and the fact that he's not always just picking the big names and worrying about the egos. So do you think the reaction at full time and and sort of the camaraderie you see in, in the squad around the win is yet another sign that Arteta really does know what he's doing?
2: Oh, he, he knows what he's doing. I think James made a great point today. He's, he sort of said, you know, so they've been away to Dubai and they had they had these three games ahead of them and they would, they would have wanted three wins. And it just felt like they ticked something off on the spreadsheet. It was done, three wins. And it was going to be hard. Everton had been sitting at home watching the East Enders for a couple of weeks. And basically, they were rested, fresh, powerful, you know, really powerful, particularly in the later stage of the game. And it was just a fight and a battle and everything we said this podcast should be caveated by the fact we had that European away trip and had to come back into this game. Glad it was a home game, glad it was an afternoon kickoff and like Spurs on Saturday morning, which I thought was very harsh on them, even though they're our enemies. I thought it was very harsh. And having that extra few hours for us, give us a bit more time to recover. And basically I, I just thought, you know, I d I don't almost everything we said. Has to be put into that context. I just thought it was a tremendous spirit raiser for everybody. I really enjoyed it. I'm starting to enjoy it again now. I really am. Just, just the collectiveness of it all. I'm just starting to enjoy it. Well, and the spectacle, by the
1: way. I- I'm sorry to, yeah. to interrupt, but just real quick, Clive. Like, I wasn't enjoying watching Arsenal sucked earlier this season. Like, it just wasn't fun to watch football anymore. You know. I mean, that, yeah. that's important. <laughs>
2: It is. It is important, and you know, we're all football geeks, right? So we can always find something to like because we enjoy even the things that are not so good. We can analyze it, etc. And but it's just a general feeling of you know, of supporting something again that you feels going in the right direction. It just makes life a lot better for for everybody. It just feels like we're progressing, and just and to see a you know group of men just buy into this and start to reconnect back to the fan base, because that's what it's all about. This is a football club, right? And it, 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 the players, it, the club, need the fans, all to be reconnected. And that's mm-hmm. happening, and that just makes everything feel good. So when you do see mistakes happen, but people react to really, really well, suddenly all the rubbish and anger towards mm-hmm. certain players, you know, Shaka and Mustafi and, and all of this... Is he good enough? Should he stay? Should we sell? It all feels like rubbish now. Because you know, now we're talking about football, how good it feels, collectiveness. Everyone's got a clean sheet of paper. Everyone's reacting appropriately. If someone doesn't react, a message comes out, he's been disciplined, then he has to react well. you know. And it's like, there's no favourites, there's no anything. We're all in this together. And... Let's just see. You know, when I say non-negotiable, I really mean it, right? And the million, and the standards we set, we own. We own those standards. That involves hard work. That involves good play, pattern play, good positioning. Don't expose your teammates. Make sure there are triangles for every person in possession. All these fundamentals have been put in place, and it's just manifesting itself into 60-minute performances at the moment. 60, 70-minute performances. There's a 90-minute around the corner. Uh, a big one, and I can't wait for it. You know, a really big one. You know, and then when that comes, then I think the belief will be total. There, there, are probably still a few that question the major. And Sunday was a real eye test for the two majors facing off to each other. Some mm. people may have wanted Angelo. I'm happy with the with the younger guy and potential ceiling that I'm just not aware of. I, I'm happy with that, and I think we definitely made the right choice.
1: Well, especially, I mean, the one thing I will say, Clive, even if you think Ancelotti at this stage of his career is still somehow the superior coach to Arteta, which, by the way, I'm not saying that's an unreasonable position. We don't really know what Arteta is yet. We're all learning about it. But, like, Ancelotti is not someone you hire to be a long-term, a part of a long-term project for a club. And I think given the stage of where we are in our development, it feels like we can really sort of, I hate to be cliche, but go on a journey with Arteta together. And that's... um, you know i think that's exciting and it gives us all a little bit more of that ceiling that you're talking about i think tim we're in sort of a weird position now though so you can't help but look at the table first of all i mean you wonder will fifth place get a, a cl spot like i don't know that you can rely on that because i think the lawyers will get involved and potentially be able to delay that ruling beyond the start of next season but there is the possibility that fifth will be a cl spot and and fourth certainly will be and that's a 7 point gap Um, I think it's probably a little fanciful to think that we would overtake that given the number of teams we have to jump over to do so. But it's certainly back on to a level where you can't just say we're chucking the league and we're going for the Europa League, which maybe just a couple of weeks ago would have been the strategy. And if you look at the way the teams are selected, he's rotated. He's tried to prioritize both, but I don't think you'd say he's put out a first-choice 11 in the league, you know, per se, in the last couple of games. Um, Do you think now he's in sort of a tough situation where... Maybe the league has come back into being a priority in a way that has to influence and, and potentially change his plans for how to set up the team from midweek to weekend.
3: No, I, I think it's. I think it's much better this way. Um, so I think we can overthink these <laughs> these things. Is it um, good
1: to still have a league season to care about? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I mean, ultimately, right? Players and managers they they don't want dead games they don't want yeah. that um i was um so i, I mean i've been at uh, london colney today and, and talking to jordan knobs again and and this question came up about like uh, the schedule's getting bigger for for women's football and all of that and you know and she was like yeah but that's great i'm a football player <laughs> and i want to play football like it's not you know it's it that's not a problem for me was basically the message and and, and and i think there's something in that 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 players and managers they want every game to be competitive and, and i th- i think it helps them anyway um i th- i think that would i think Arteta will find that helpful um just to get that momentum and galvanize people and like you said we're trying to go on a journey with him here he's you know he's he can't relax and think he's got the total buy in of the players there's there's good evidence there that he has it Um, But you could lose it quickly. And I think if you've got like a sea of dead rubber games, I think it's more difficult to do that. I think also there's an important point here that we actually have a big squad. Um, I think this has gone quite unremarked on. Look at who didn't make the 18 uh, this weekend. Joe Willock didn't make it. Gabriel Martinelli didn't make it. Ainsley Maitland-Niles didn't make it. We've got Suarez and Pablo Mari who aren't fit yet. We've got Kieran Tierney started uh started full training um and the the prognosis was always march for him we we've got quite a big squad and what we don't have anymore um is this kind of this thing we had at the end of the wenger era where we had like wilshire and coquelin and Giroud and walcott and these kind of players who were on the way out and and debushi and like guys who were Myrta Saka was at the end you know we had like a very definite second 11 and El Elneny and you know mm. I'm not going to reel them all off now but we don't really have that anymore I think there's a, a bigger democracy there and there's the potential for gentle rotation there so we don't have to make eight nine changes we can just make two or three every game Kolasinac in you know for example in in Martinelli you know sit Martinelli out for one game bring him in for another i, th- I think there's there's a lot of potential there for for squad management and the s- the size of the squad is such like even at center half now because Mustafi is now not just considered part of the squad part of the starting 11 for the moment we're really really well stacked um at center back like once Pablo Mari is considered fit enough um, you know there's there's another option in there um, that we can bring in and we can probably like not worry about Rob Holding so we've gone from perhaps a month ago thinking Christ we're all out of centre backs and now things have just calmed down a little bit in that respect and even when we're picking up injuries you know Kolasinac is injured well we've got Saka and Tierney's going to be back in a couple of weeks so I I I think it I think it's it's for the best this way. And if Arteta's really trying to sell his, his projects to his players and his fans, having something, I I think it's the ideal situation, right? Because in the league, he's got something to go for, but he's not going to be enormously judged if he doesn't get it. Because just the, just the fact that we're in with even a squeak or a shout is, is, you know, is galvanizing because a lot of us had given up, on the idea that there was anything left in this Premier League season, so you know, he—I think he's almost got the ideal scenario in that there's still something to go for, but it's—it's it's almost a free swing. Well, no, it's not almost. It is. It's a total free swing, um, and and I think that I think that's something that's hugely helpful for him. And I think it would have been bad if we'd fallen into this kind of well, the Premier League seasons are right off. We're going to finish tenth, so fuck it, let's go for the Europa League. I don't think that works. Mm. I, I really, really don't. I don't think it works. I don't think it works when you get into a situation where you're only going for one competition. I just, I struggle to think of examples um, from any team, let alone Arsenal, where, where that's really, really worked. Um, you know, there might be a few um but i i don't think that's ever been the reason someone's got their target i don't think anyone's ever thought oh thank thank god like we had all these dead rubbers um just to play like our second 11 and and the other thing that happens then is you lose a bit of that democracy that Arteta's trying to bring in. Cause if you have clear priorities, or sorry, you clearly deprioritize something, then those players who come into that second eleven, they kind of this is what happened in Bengals last year, right? They yep, they absolutely. know mm-hmm. They know they're out to pasture. And what he wants at the moment is Sabios. couple of weeks, you're out. No, actually, you're training really well. You're in again. You know, he wants to keep this kind of culture going. So I, I think it's a really good thing for him.
1: Yeah, and not to go all small club mentality, but like even if maybe fourth is beyond our reach, finishing above Spurs looks really doable. Three points ahead of us um, in, you know, in a bit of a free fall, maybe coming now with Kane and Son both injured. I think it could be tough for them and, and I'm not saying finishing above Tottenham should be what a club of our size aspires to, but it would be a nice little fill for us uh, in the league season and something that I think, again, would just buoy the fans and feel good about what Arteta is achieving and and that certainly is achievable. Um, you know, we we get lucky too. <laughs> What's interesting, you guys, is the FA Cup has sort of saved us here in a way because we've got a second leg against Olympiacos on Thursday and then it would have been Manchester City away, but instead it's Portsmouth away on Monday. Um before West Ham at home, Brighton away. Uh so we've got a really interesting opportunity here. If we want to go strong in the second leg of the Europa League, to to be really careful and really safe about it. We've got a perfect opportunity to then rotate heavily away to Portsmouth on Monday before playing home to West Ham. So I, I do think we got a little lucky with the schedule. One last thing, Clyde, that I think is sort of sort of tickling my brain a little bit with respect to the squad, is just the importance that Ceballos seems to be showing now and the way that he and Shaka sort of work as a pair and, and Ceballos is progressing the ball well and, and bringing Ozil into play well. And while I still have tons of faith in my large adult son, Matteo Ganduzzi, um, Ceballos' importance now does raise the issue that we probably thought was a non-issue just a few months ago, which is, could he potentially have a future at the club? His his involvement now and his importance now and his centrality to what we're doing does sort of bring this question back into focus. Do you have any thoughts on relying on a player whose long-term future at the club is suspect? And whether you think we might wind up trying to uh, bring him to Arsenal in the summer?
2: I, I I think he's been interesting how he's, particularly at home, how he's, how he's been used. But I thought he did weigh at Olympia, because I thought he did really well then as well, to be honest. And he just seems to be different. His body language seems to be much sharper and much more engaged. And he's a good footballer. You know, let's not mess about he got signed for Real Madrid. He's in the Spanish team or has been a Spanish team this season. So we're not talking about a bad footballer. I think his weaknesses were massively exposed with our with our massive distances during that phase when we were just running up and down the pitch. Well, like he's he not a ten, right? Runs. I mean
1: that that role was wrong for him.
2: Mm, I, I don't know if it, I don't know if it, When I say he's not a ten, I just think he's a midfield player that works better when the spaces are smaller. Yeah, and and he, and he does it. He can he can do it high. He can do it deeper. But the most important thing is, it needs to be a smaller distance. I want to really encourage Was a tackle he made in middle and midfield when they were breaking, and he stood there and he squared up them. and as soon as they put their head down to touch the ball, he stepped forward and snuck the ball away, Bobby Moore style. And, and basically, it was brilliant. He just he knew that he couldn't go into a running race, so he had to square up and take him on early, and wait for him to lose concentration. And he stepped forward and took the ball, and and that is a player that knows his limits, knows what he's good at. I, I have I have to say. He's given us a level of assuredness on the ball because although Ozil's playing quite well at the moment you can see his physical limits and you can see when he disappears we can lose that control and we have got a lot of good forward players and our ability to find them is really important and we know Shack can do it but we do need somebody else so I still feel we have a, a group of good midfield players that don't quite do all of the things so Sobias is nice and neat but I wish he was a two step faster because then that question I would answer it and say we probably would have put a bid in for him already. Do you see know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think we just need that two way aggressiveness against the very best teams. You know, it's been it's been Newcastle and Everton. I think Everton are a decent side, but in central midfield they had Delph, they had Sigurdsson, you know, they had Snydlin. They're all right. They they they're getting loads of wages, by the way. And loads of transfer fees in there, but they're not—they're not the best. You know, we—we got to start judging this team soon. Not yet, because he's just putting the building blocks in place and recovering the club. But we're going to have to judge this team about you know playing against you know Silva, Bernardo Silva, Fernandinho, you know Henderson, Firmino in the in round your area. We need to get to those levels. Spurs have got some nice pieces at the moment. Chelsea have got some nice midfield pieces. And then we, that's when we can judge people like survivors and judge these players. I, almost, I always wish away the summer, but I really, really am wishing away to the summer to see what we do in the next level, to see who stays, to see who goes, to see where the actual ceiling is. And in the last few weeks, they've shown me more than I expected. I didn't expect it to feel this good with the same group of players. I did not expect the brain, did not expect the shape. You know, he's just been a coaching masterclass, really, and what he's what he's got out of this group so far.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I bet you didn't expect that two of the important pieces to the Arteta Renaissance would be Mustafi and Chaka, but there you have it. So. Yeah. I do think
2: Shakir is the tactical leader of this team. Mm. And he was he is the true captain of this team. Although I' have played like a, a captain we, tactically, he's absolutely in charge on the pitch. You know Absolutely. What's,
1: what's really interesting about that, Clive, I think about Emery and, and the reason he got the job, supposedly, you know, he had this dossier on all the players and a plan for every single player. And what became pretty clear is he didn't have a plan. He didn't have a plan for most of the players. Whereas Arteta, ironically, he really clearly, if there's one player, he very, very clearly had a plan for. It was Granit Xhaka. to drop into that, you know, line of three in the first phase of build up and use him to see more of the pitch and be able to distribute long and, and keep the game in front of him. And it, you know, Shaka is a player who has limitations, and I think that Arteta clearly understood how to hide some of those limitations and get the most out of him. So he deserves a lot of credit for that, and the player does too for. Rising to the challenge, so I, I think we can leave it there we've got a, a game midweek that is an important one, but we put ourselves in a good position there too, so hopefully um, not a lot of drama on Thursday We'll have a Patreon pod tomorrow and then um, a post match pod on Thursday and possibly a live show uh Thursday as well uh, in association with the game. So more details on that as we think of them in any event, Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. thanks Tim. My pleasure <laughs> is what he would say if he was not muted. Um, I'll come back to you. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. My pleasure Thanks. as always. Ah, there Sorry. it is. My, my pleasure as always. That's the one. There it is. Uh, my mistake. How could I get that wrong after all this time? Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive.
2: Thank you very much. Uh,
1: my name's Alex Fenton. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I apologize for coming back to host the pod, but I assure you, um, you're stuck with me because I'm going to keep doing it. And, uh, thank Miss you again to Paul. Oh, that's kind of you to say. Uh, well, look, I'm, I'm working my way back into a forum. There were, there were some disciplinary off the pitch issues, and, uh, you know, I don't want to get into what it was, but, I think it's behind us now, and, and hopefully we can all go forward together as a team to achieve our goals. And one of those goals is to talk to you after. Arsenal 10, Olympiacos nil.